there's a whole education that needs to happen on many kind of levels because that talent in this country is exceptional. It's exceptional. But I don't know what they're going to do if you if you train people. That is the sad thing. You go, okay, I can't take your money, but I cannot guarantee you anything, you know. Yeah. If you train people, you know, or mental people, mm-hmm. which is more, more what I do at the moment. So, yeah, and it's sad because the opportunities aren't here. Today I'm talking to you on Ingelbrecht, author, actor, singer, and stage designer in South Africa. Johan, it's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom. It's the same here. Thank you. We're worlds apart, but yes, thanks for having me around. Yeah, Johan, where are you based? I'm in Johannesburg in South Africa, and that's where mm. I'm based, yes. And you're in Vienna. How magnificent. Yeah. In the, I'm in the Southern Hemisphere, so please excuse the winter clothing. It is freezing in South Africa at this stage of the year. We just have this little thing in common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Johan, uh, were you born in Johannesburg? I was born and raised in Johannesburg, really? yes. Um, mm. Yes. I've mostly lived in the province called Gauteng, which mm. was the old Transvaal, yeah, mostly, most of my life, except for a spot where I worked and lived in Europe. Okay. But yeah. now, um, as a city boy in Johannesburg, um, what was the fascination with art for you? Because you are an actor as well, and you are a designer and a producer. Yes. Do you know, yeah. what, is, do you know what is so interesting? I think all of these things that happened to me is purely by accident. Um, that something happened. Triggered these interests. When I was at school, I was privileged enough to actually design my first professional production when I was in my matric year, which is then grade 12. Um, at that early age, to get that opportunity was because of somebody that I encountered while I was still at school that said to me, Why don't you look into theater design? Um, which I then did. And I thought, well, that was that was something that would carry me through. So that was when I was about 17 years old that I actually got my first taste of, of theatrical design, where I designed a set in costumes for very famous people that, you know, they were like uh, people that you admired from a distance. It wasn't people that I was exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my... I had to do compulsory military training, which is always an interesting thing. People don't expect artists to have served in the military. I can say that I was trained as an engineer, which meant that for um, three three month periods of my life, I had to go and dig out landmines in in Angola during the the, the border wars. That is what I had to do. But in that period, I also was commissioned to illustrate a book. Really? Which I did, well, yes, on direction, on stage direction, was um, called the Regent van die Woord, which is conductor of the word. Mm-hmm. This book, and I did all the illustrations, and the more I explored theater, the more fascinated I became. And then after my military training, I went to university, and the intention was to study theatrical design. 
But you had to do two art, fine art um, subjects, which kept me very busy. But then you also had to do two drama subjects. And somehow the course was never completed by anyone. So they yeah. disbanded the, you know, nobody finished the course because it was just, it was impossible. So the next thing that happened was they said to me, I, sh I should either go and study fine art or I should draw, study drama. And I never had any intentions of acting, I promise you. Really? <laughs> never, act, never, ever, ever, ever. But now I had to do practical acting because I was now studying drama, but I was more interested in the design aspect. And uh, I kept going, well, you know, just give me a mark for the acting, you know, I'll get to that mm. some other time. But then what happened was um, in my final year, um, there was an exchange, you see, but it's all, it's all too perfect. It really is the universe takes you there. I don't go and look for these things. They find me. In my final year, uh, we did an exchange production with, 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 with Vits, which was the University of the Witwatersrand, Rand. And then they also exchanged designers. But at that stage, there wasn't a designer resident at, at Vits. So I was appointed to design the, the production. And then the right people saw the production. And the next moment, I was employed by PACT, which was the Performing Arts Council Amazing. of the Arts yeah. But what, what university were you at then? I was at Tuckies, the one in Pretoria. Oh, in Pretoria, yeah. Yeah, yeah the mm -hmm. one in Pretoria. But now the funny thing is, is I had to do acting and stuff like that to um, to get my degree. And okay, I did do my honours in design. That is also the reason why I designed the production. And as a student, because I was exposed to acting, I kept going, well, if I had to act, what kind of plays, what, what would I want to do, you know, what kind of plays would I want to be? And one of them was Sina in the suburbs that you will know, it won't mean anything to anyone else except for a South African, which is a prestigious Afrikaans play. Mm -hmm. And the other one that I always said, I wanted to play Oswald in Hendrik Ibsen's Ghosts. That was sort of the back of my mind. But also then at the university, you had to sing. You had to do singing training. That was part of the drama course. And um, it was round about that time that they released the, 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 the LP of um, Evita. And I listened to that and I went, ooh, I wouldn't mind singing Che Guevara one day because if I had to sing, that is what I would want to sing. Um, because I already had a history with JC Superstar, uh, uh, only on record, never saw the productions because it was in South Africa and all of that was banned on this side. But that, that, those are the things that you put in the back of your head. And also as a designer, I went, oh, the day that I design an Anton Chekhov play, I would really feel I've arrived. I was appointed as a designer um, with the Performing Arts Council, which was a government-subsidized theatre, so they could do uh, classical theatres, especially, and non-commercial theatre, which is fantastic. And the second production I designed was Anton Chekhov's The wow. Cherry Orchard. <laughs> that really? Dream. That was the end of my dream. So what now? You know, it's one of those things. Amazing. Yes, and in that same year, 
I did an audition that was just prior to the opening of the State Theatre in, in mm. Pretoria, which was like the bastion of theatre at the time. It was an opera theatre, it had a concert hall, it had a drama theatre, it had a studio, it had everything. It was now really this huge monstrosity that was create, being created. Just prior to the opening to that, I, as a joke, didn't audition for a musical or the world premiere of a of a rock opera called The Archon, and I landed two songs in it. Wow. And then I thought, well, if I can do that, what if I auditioned for the drama company? And then I ended up in the drama company for nine years, and I ended up designing the productions that I was in, which was very convenient for them, and it was extra pocket money for me because we were very poorly paid. Let me put it oh, to you. I see. Mm. You know, but it's theatre is never, you can't go into theatre and think you're going to become wealthy. That December, with the opening of the State Theatre, I played, in the opening season, I played Chucky and Sinner in the suburbs. That was oh. That was months later. Really? And, yes, and... Um, the following year, the, 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 the January of the next year, I played Oswald in Ibsen's Ghosts. But I also had the opportunity to understudy the import which they brought in from the West End. That sang Shai Guevara, I, I became his understudy. And everything possible went wrong with this man. Mm -hmm. That the one afternoon at four o'clock phoned me and said to me, well, he's not going to make the performance. Um, can you take over? And I went, well, I've never had a placement, uh, so I've never worked with the orchestra. I've not even worked with any one of the Evitas. And one of the people in the cast who played Juan Peron was Geit Korsten. That might mean something to you, but yeah, he, he was a notorious and a famous opera singer. And he said to me, you will do it. I will be in the wings. I will scream at the top of my voice, run left, run right. <laughs> and I got through the performance. And at the end of the day, in that season alone, I think I sang the part 34 times. Really? And then when they did another season of it, they, we shared the part. And... Um, Everything possible went wrong again with this man. Even after, during the opening number, his Achilles tendon snapped. And the next moment they dropped the curtain, the next moment there I was. You know, it became like, mm -hmm. it became absurd because everything that I dreamt of happened within two years. That's amazing. No, really? This terrible. is incredible. It is terrible because I never said to the universe, am I truly ready for this? Yeah. You know, I was young and I would say, oh, well, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. If I think in terms of what happened to my body the day that I took over Che Guevara, which is the biggest part in the musical, I mean, that morning, four o'clock, I was sit still sitting on my couch. My heart was pounding. I thought I was going to have a heart attack, you know. So it is, I think it's also tracing that um, that adrenaline rush. Yeah. But we are now talking about all of the things that happened prior to 1994. There was a state subsidized theater in this country, yeah. and it was non-profitable. So they didn't have to make an, a, a profit. So they could really do classic works. You know, we did the Shakespeare's, we did 
We did uh, Euripides, we did Greek tragedies, we did, you know, all the classic pieces. And it was a beautiful theatre, I remember. Magnificent. It was Mm -hmm. a world, yeah, I mean, it was a a world standard theatre. Yeah. Um, And... I mean, it was. I was mostly part of the, the either the, the, the drama company or the, the musical department, but because I did quite a lot of musicals for them, and I also did quite a lot of cabaret shows for mm-hmm. for the performing performing arts council. But there was a, a ballet company. There was a full time yeah. opera company with full time choristers. I mean, that got full time employment. The same as the orchestra, everything like that. It was. So luxurious. I mean, and they brought in singers from all over the world. I mean, they brought in Montserrat Caballé. They brought in Luciana Serra. They brought in the big, big guns. They imported the ones that weren't too scared to come to South Africa because of the cultural boycott, because oh, yeah. of our mm-hmm. politics, because of apartheid, you know. Um, yeah, so it was the heyday of theatre, but today, Unfortunately, um, that is not as highly regarded as we we would have imagined it would have been because there's been a complete shift in cultural emphasis. Now there's an enormous emphasis on indigenous work. And although I am very pro-creating new work, the standard has become sort of very marred because there is nothing to compare it with. I am. I mean, I was fortunate to, to, to be in a Harold Pinter play in, in the last 10 years. And I mean, the actors that was with me in the play, they've never acted on a box set. They couldn't believe that they were actually really? acting on a box set because all of those things have fallen away. And... Mm. Um, Theatre has become festival-orientated, if I'm talking about Afrikaans theatre, but also plays. And, yeah, mostly, mostly, mostly theatre, drama has become festival-based. And unfortunately, what happens with the festival is it's, it's everybody is vying for an audience and everybody knows that farce is the biggest draw card. So the classical and more serious work has fallen sort of by the wayside, and that is unfortunate. Yeah. It's also, if you look at the, if you unfortunately, if you look at the school curriculum on, on, on theatre in South Africa, the things that we've just spoken about, opera and ballet and classical theatre, is the pariah today. And it's mm-hmm. hardly even mentioned in, in, in the curriculum that these things ever existed in South Africa. The only thing that they look at today is protest theatre, as if that was the only significant, and it had significance um, at the time. But I still believe, if you don't know how the Greeks um, performed theatre, who am I to actually try and perform on stage today? There's a whole history, there's a culture in theatre alone that that is lost. I was so shocked. I mean, and the kind of disregard, and I'm now saying this in a almost in a hushed voice, that has happened here in South Africa as far as standards are concerned, because those were the benchmarks, you know? 
you saw the Alfredo Krauses thing, and you go, okay, now that is the benchmark. But if yeah. you don't get exposed to a higher benchmark, your benchmark lowers itself automatically, and that is what is so unfortunate. I couldn't believe recently I went to see a performance and one of the actors were working off a script during a performance and then somebody said to me, no, but he's actually been to three plays where people are now even performing with their scripts on stage. That they what? Have, people have become so contemptuous on this side that they don't even bother to learn their words. Mm. But you know this is this is very tragic and and it's it's if if I think if you do something just for the sake of doing it you know and it's like you say if yes create new works but don't just but then it has to have a standard as well it it yes. shouldn't just be just because it's new or just because it's got this theme that it can go through as good theater yeah Yes, because that's that's the whole thing. If somebody says to me they think something is brilliant, and I go, in comparison to what? Yeah. What what is your benchmark? What do you compare it to? You know, they said, oh, that's a brilliant ballet dancer. Are you just comparing it to the one standing next to him, or are you looking at Bereshnikov? Do you understand? Yeah. It sounds tragic to say that, but it is now in this country. It's I sometimes get the feeling that we are watching each other. Instead of looking out, I have a morbid curiosity as to what is happening everywhere in the world. And I have lost interest in what is happening on this side, because there's also a strange kind of incestuousness that has happened here. I'm going to give you an example. I was working on a, <laughs> a, a television production. Oh, good grief. I was working on a television production and the director of the piece, I was working as, a, as an acting as a dialogue coach. And he asked this one young actor, so who do you admire most as an actor? And he said, a, a young South African actor, one that's about 25 years old. And he went, okay, and internationally, this boy turned around and named another South African Afrikaans actor. Internationally, and we both went, okay, but that is why your work reflects that, that kind of short-sightedness, yeah. which means he's, in our heads, we all of a sudden thought, he's just watching this one television channel and thinking that is the entire world. And that really, that is to me upsetting. Yes. Yeah. We are, we have, for the first time, we are exposed to what's happening all over the world, I mean, if you look at television, I mean, you can almost see any opera production, you can see any ballet production happening anywhere in the world. And if you ask people on this side, have you seen that? Then they go, no. Mm -hmm. And I go, so what are you watching? And unfortunately, people are watching each other. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. And it's frightening. I mean, I worked on a soap opera as a, as, a, as a dialogue coach and as an acting coach because they take them straight from the, the fashion runway and they make them soap stars, do I understand? They look fantastic, but they can't mm. handle dialogue. And you have to work with these people that have no skills. It sounds terrible. Mm. They look the part, but 
they have they have no skills except being beautiful. And then you would ask the people working on this, what are you watching? Mm -hmm. And they will say to you, but, but we're watching the local productions. And I go, no, but if you want to watch soaps, why aren't you watching EastEnders? Yeah. Why aren't you looking at the BBC? Not one of those people have ever had the courage to even go there. Mm -hmm. Because I also think they realize it's going to demand something from them yeah. that they are perhaps not capable of. I don't know. I don't know. And I find that frightening. I find the tunnel vision frightening. You know? That's, yeah. we, are, we, are, we have the opportunity to be exposed to stuff like we've never had in our lives. You know, I will never forget I was at school when I saw the first movie that was about a concert. I mean, and that was Elvis Presley performing in Las Vegas. And I went, I've never seen anything like this in my life, you know. Yeah. Now, you are so spoiled for choice. Mm. You know, it was when things started going wrong in Ukraine, I all of a sudden got this complete compulsion to to understand who these people are, you know? Yeah. And you ask yourself, so what has happened to Aminapash? You know, where are these people? What do their lives look like? But to speak to local people here, and I think it could also be the kind of isolation we go through because of our geography. Yeah. We are completely isolated. Right here at the bottom point of Africa. You know, so... Also, that could be also that could also be a reason why we are so introverted. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. to do that. You know. But but you know, it's it's um, just in the week I spoke to um, somebody um, about ballet, um, and and we talked about theatre, and he said actually something very interesting, and he said that also the audience need to be educated how to how to um attend uh, a ballet or how to attend the opera and how to dress accordingly and and i sort of have this idea and you were talking about the festival culture in south africa now where things happen not in theaters anymore but at festivals if yeah. that's a whole you know it's a total tone down of everything you know it's 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 how people dress when they go how people how the, the the performances are chosen you know to 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 attract people or to you know to sort of um get people to come to these performances you know so, sort of people pleasing performances sometimes um absolutely yeah, and Absolutely. then it, it makes this it makes this vicious cycle. Then you know because then it the people who are um, used to good theatre and good productions and who are used to going to the theatre for them this this is very watered down. Then and then they don't attend anymore. So I wonder if it's that situation because this was actually what we were talking about is this this absolute education of the audience. You know. You see, the thing is, is I want to agree quite wholeheartedly with, with, with the dancer. I went to see The Marriage of Figaro, which was for the first time in 
two and a half years that we saw something that almost resembled an opera again. I mean, you would go to the Ruhrpur Theatre, which was notorious for its opera, and um, you will see um, an almost in concert version where there's only a piano and there's a bit of the, the leading characters or some of them are in costume. You know, we got used to such sort of opera with somebody just playing a piano and this had a 15 piece orchestra and there was a set and they had costumes, you know, and all of a sudden you go, wow. But then what happened, for instance, between the first and the second act, although they projected it going, there's an interval after the second act, a lot of people got up off, uh, after the first act and went outside and they all came back halfway through the next um, act walking in and I'm talking about about 30 40 people that just got up and walked out they applauded right in the beginning for everything that happened on the stage and then all of a sudden that died out and they came the end of the uh, people just didn't know how to conduct themselves anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we need to, he's very right, we need to educate the audience again. Yeah. Um, what I do find frightening, and I'm going to say this to you, is, is when theatre was in its heyday, we're talking about the 70s and 80s until mid-90s, mm -hmm. um, there was an audience. I mean, people were fighting for tickets to go and see an opera. People were fighting to to get tickets for the ballet. I mean, we in the drama company would at least do 48 to, to, to 60 performances of the drama in a large drama theatre and then bring it to Johannesburg and perform it for another two and a half weeks at eight performances a week. And it was always full to capacity. That's why we very often repeated plays, you know. Yeah. But now, I mean, Somebody said to me with the lockdown, with this 50% uh, audiences which we were allowed to have until quite recently, I mean, even that wasn't hard for Jeff's sense. So he said, yeah. the estimate today is, is that you will attract about a 45% attendance. I don't understand that. I don't understand it. Um, and yet there's some people doing really bad yeah. force and they get Yeah, I just think um, uh, we, you know also um, Michelle Fienemans for example and I spoke to them as well and yeah and her mother and I think if I hear Michelle's voice um, you know if I listen to her and I just think oh my god this woman has this incredible voice and versatile and yeah, and, versatile. yeah, and you know, she should be heard. She should be on stage. She should be in opera. She's, you know, and and um, and it's not happening. And it's, you know, that I wonder how many very very talented singers, performers, you know, actors in South Africa um, don't get the opportunity and don't get the recognition that they should have. Um, uh, because of the fact that the theatres are not open. Yes, no, 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 absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's going to be a, a, another generation of lost entertainers. I mean, yeah. that's why, I mean, when I, when I was still referring to this young actor that only knew that much from our industry here, yeah. you know? 
So the industry is actually shrinking in on itself because we are also employing people that are box office. And they bo- why are they box office? It's, I think South Africa is the only place on earth where they really put the kind of value on soap actors that they do. Do you understand? If you're not yeah. in a soap, you should not go and um, even attempt theatre because the people aren't there to see the theatre piece. They're there to see soap stars live. It really mm. is. It sounds tragic to say that, but that is unfortunately what has happened here. Even my sister would say to me when she's going to go to the festival, I'm going to see this, that, and uh, who's in it? And I would say, Amalia, and then she'll say, so uh, uh, where can I see her work? Then I know she wants to uh, ask me, which one of the four soap operas is she? (laughs) You know? And it is, unfortunately, it is really because that has become... Box office, mm. they become box office, and then you would see a play like I saw not too long ago where everybody in the cast was from soap operas, and there was one person that was a highly skilled theater actor, and it started to look as if he was doing something wrong really? mm. because he was playing theater and they were doing soap, mm. you know. And you start going, no, well, why is he acting like that? You yeah. <laughs> it is the whole, the whole world is, the, I mean, theatre yeah. has imploded in South mm-hmm. Africa for me. And we have the talent. My God, we have some talent. And especially when it comes to operas. I mean, the talent that I saw in the Mar- Marriage of Figaro was exceptional. I mean, Last week, I turned on the television, oh my, my, and I can go on YouTube and see um, Masabara Cecilia Rangwanasha sing yeah. the Verdi Requiem, which is his best opera as far as I'm concerned, for the BBC proms. You know, there's pretty yenne if you just see she's going, every, she's going places, you know. Um, you know, Erika Ilof, there's so many. Elsa van den there's so many of our singers with huge careers abroad. And people here don't even know their names. Exactly, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. And and it, it's a pity that they have to leave the country. That is always the thing for me, you know, that they have to leave the country to pursue their careers. But now I want to ask you that um, in... Um, thinking and I spoke to many artists during the pandemic as well and um, because it seemed to also uh, you know certain parts of America you know certain parts of America you know they very much the schools and the colleges they have very great art programs and music programs and, and opportunities but in South Africa is do you think there's enough done in schools now for children to at least get the uh, the education because i think appreciation comes with the education of art do you know i'm listening to what you're saying is, is why would somebody <laughs> why would i educate the kids to go into a profession where there's no employment yeah do you know that i mean it was so mm-hmm. funny i did a workshop recently and i said to this Youngsters, and they are talented young people. Mm-hmm. I said to them, yes, and if you do get the qualification, what exactly do you think you're going to do with the qualification? Mm-hmm. 
Some of them already become really desperate and say to me, well, at least we can try and be in a soap. Then at least oh, okay. we can be yeah. That is the other thing is you have to ask young people, where does your devotion lie? Do you want the mm-hmm. job or do you want the fame? Because a lot of them are training nowadays to be soap stars and not to be actors. And that is unfortunate. Now the whole soap stars, Culture in South Africa is a very, very interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think of the Afrikaans population, it's a tiny little population, but there's four designated soap operas in Afrikaans. I mean, you know, yeah. um, if you go, and I don't know how many you've got in, in Austria, I mean, in the Netherlands, where I worked for many years, they had one. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm only talking about the one language group. I mean, you have no idea how many soap operas are happening here in South Africa. Really? Yes, yes. And to me, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to try not to make it sound horrible, but to me, what the guys do, and I've worked on it. You see, I am am in such awe of people that can every day pull out and a performers and remember all their words. You understand? I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely. But you cannot say what they're delivering is of any kind of quality because, mm-hmm. you know, they do their preparation at home, they arrive on the set, and they've got to work with me before they go onto the camera because there's no time for anyone uh, else to look at their performances once they're on the floor. They do one rehearsal. For the camera crew, not even for themselves, they do a take, and then if something went wrong, they do pickups, and that's it. Do you understand? It is mm-hmm. like that. So I, it's not as if I'm dishing them, but that to me has become a craft. It has not become art. And the people practicing it, they develop an enormous following. So the next thing what they do is they put them into stage productions mm-hmm. because they are, are good box office. They're oh, not the yeah. best person for the job, but they do bring in the crowds. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a whole education that needs to happen on many kind of levels because the talent in this country is exceptional. Mm-hmm. It's exceptional, but I don't know what they're going to do if you if you train people. That is the sad thing. You go, okay, I can't take your money, but I cannot guarantee you anything. You know. Yeah. If you, to train people, you know, or mental people, mm-hmm. which is more, more what I do at the moment. So, um, yeah, and it's sad because the opportunities aren't here. Mm-hmm. For the opera singers or for the classical singers, there's a whole world out there. Yeah. Almost the only ones. Also, we do find that our ballet dancers leave, but our actors, they stay here. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they... Very few of them, there's there's a handful of them that's made it internationally. Well, if you compare it to, to classical singing. Yeah. I mean, I am astounded every time that I go onto YouTube to discover how many South Africans are, are making huge careers out there as opera singers, and they have to. Yeah. Because they might have the opportunity to do a concert here or there because... As I said to you, a lot of the operas are just concert performances nowadays, more than it is anything else, because there's no money to pay people for rehearsals. <laughs> so it's um, a catch-22 situation. Yeah, and, and 
like you say, there's no orchestra as well. And, you know, it's, it's. And it's not as if those people have just disappeared. They are, they've just become unemployed. And that is yeah. the tragedy of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, we spoke off camera about how, how many people's livelihoods were taken away from them because of COVID and the lockdown with the theatres. Yeah. Uh, it is shocking. It is really shocking uh, because that was an industry that's come to a dead halt. Yeah. What is very interesting, and this happened in such a short time, Petra, and I'm going to say this to you because this is where the tragedy lies. They opened up the theatres and there was a stampede of people to go and see the shows. There was this one particular one that they kept saying on Facebook, it sold out and sold out and sold out. But the people that were saying that they saw the show were all industry people. Really? And then that same show was supposed to have been performed, well, we know Friday, on Wednesday in another venue. And they cancelled it because of a lack of interest. You see, so people, oh, it's not to say that now that it's open that people will stampede to go there. And we really try. I mean, I, I was assisting a colleague of mine who is a brilliant actor in a brilliant piece, playing, playing in a very beautiful theatre, Peter Terry, that I, now I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah. And I mean, he did so much of his own publicity because he's not a soap star. <laughs> the audiences didn't automatically come, you see. So it's yeah. a catch 22 situation. Yeah. People need to be famous now for them to attract an audience. But now the funny thing is, they will see a person like Sandra Prince, who's a very iconic Afrikaans actress. Mm-hmm. And in say, for instance, he's playing Martha and he's afraid of Virginia Woolf. And then you hear these people say, I will never go and see a play with her ever again in my life because I can't believe the woman can swear like that. Oh, but really? it's not, not her, it's the character. They <laughs> 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 cannot differentiate with the character. So they go and see these plays and they're horrified. They walk out of because they were there to see a famous person sort of doing, I don't know what they were expecting. They have no yeah. knowledge of it, about the piece that they're going to see. I mean, we were talking about the Harold Pinter's The Homecoming. And afterwards, this one woman, because I'm also not the famous one, they will, they will attack me because they go, who the hell is he? Do you understand? Because I'm not yeah. so and she would. She came to me and she said to me, "Well, that was a terrible player." And I went, "No, no, no, that's not a terrible player." Mm-hmm. She used the word "swak." That's a weak mm-hmm. player. It's a bad player. That's what she said. And I keep going, "No, no, no, you can't say that's mm-hmm. a bad player." I said, "Perhaps you didn't understand it well." And she goes, "No, it's just a bad player." And I go, "No, I don't think you understood the play because we don't even understand the play. How could you understand it? How can you say Harold Pinter's The Homecoming is a bad play, despite the fact that he won um, the Nobel Prize for Literature for the play? He did." Yeah. And she goes, I don't care, it's a bad play. <laughs> but the thing is, she was just at the wrong play. That is unfortunate. Yeah. Because 
She didn't. I'm so sorry. She could never have understood it. But the leading lady was somebody that has a very pure image on television. And now all of a sudden she's playing a slightly degenerate woman and she doesn't want to accept it. So there must be something oh, yeah. wrong with the play. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to solve this, you know. <laughs> I have sleepless nights because I am really one of those people that want to educate people and say to yeah. them, at least just give it a try. Yeah. You know? yeah. It can only broaden your horizons. Try something that you have never done. Go and mm-hmm. see a play that you never would have. Because I'm going to tell you something which, which I have found extraordinary. At two occasions, funny enough, I was in a very, very commercial piece mm-hmm. at one of these festivals after we, we, we did the, the, the uh, Harold Pinter play there. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, it's the one in the, the Art Talk Festival in Portsmouth. And then the next year, we, I was there with another piece with a very popular, with popular people. There was a girl called Liz Meiringer. I mean, at a, at a filling station, she can cause a riot because she's so famous. Do you understand? Okay. There was this poor man, and we had a 10 o'clock performance in the morning, and this man was dawdling around wearing his two-tone khaki outfit, you know, and he looked like not your regular theatre guy. And she kept going, I'm sure... Your wife brought you to the right place, but I'm sure you don't really want to be here, you know. Mm-hmm. She just judged him the whole time. And the next moment, after she kept going on, you know, but it's okay, it is funny, you know, it's light and he went, no, do you know what, I wanted to talk to this man and he wanted to talk to me. He said to me, that Harold Pinter play was fantastic. Really? You see, so we must yeah. also never, I have learned one thing, never, ever, mm-hmm to underestimate the audience either. And I think that is also what is unfortunately happening here is Mm. people are being exposed to stuff that they don't really want to see. That's not all they want to see. It happened to me once that we were doing a sound check in some remote venue and the guy that uh, locked and unlocked the venue first was sitting at the back also you know, not the kind of person that you would expect <laughs> near a, a cultured venue. Yeah. And he was a retired uh, policeman from Namibia. So I think you will get a, an idea. I mean, he said, let's call him a deep rural person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in the soundtrack, I used to sing this one poem by Edgar mm. von Reichler, which I... Uh, I used to sing because it was very long phrases and it was a very good thing for me to use. And then we did the show, but I didn't sing it at the performance because it was just not appropriate. And funny enough, this man came to me and he said to me, why didn't you sing that song? Really? And I said, oh, a little bit. He said, please do sing it for me. Amazing. And all of a sudden the yeah. audience was dead quiet and you went, never, ever, ever yeah. under- to make an audience. Mm. So I don't know who's in the wrong, whether the audience is wrong or we as entertainment entertainers that we just don't. Well, yeah, but, but sometimes musicians, and this is also that we, uh, I talked about, is that it's sort of the, the sometimes a, a program is, is um, designed for you know for the what they think the audience wants, and then no. they 
sometimes play the same things over and over again. But then, um, you know, it's the musicians or the, the, the artists that they need to change these programs and bring in work that they think, okay, so this would, let's try this or let's educate the, the audience on this new work or this, this something that's a little bit different. But I think it's sometimes that assuming, you know, I assume they won't like it. So we're not doing it, you know, but, but give it a try or, or mix it up with other things so that that, that you at least can can make a test, you know, like like one, a musician once said to me, if you keep feeding people hamburgers, you know, um, yeah. then that's all that they're going to eat. Yeah, but that is unfortunately, yeah. I think, what is happening. People are so desperate to sell tickets that they yeah. would really take it down to the lowest denominator instead of saying, mm -hmm. What if we really put something of quality out there and let the reputation of the piece attract people? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it is a two-way street. It really is a two-way street. But I am so sad because, as I said to you earlier on, we used to have an audience and I don't know what happened to them. Yeah. I don't know what happened to them. Mm -hmm. They must probably all in retirement homes. <laughs> 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 or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. It is really, it is tragic because, I mean, yeah. oh, the talent is here. I mean, really. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, with the, even with, I mean, I work, I work um, very closely with a dance company because I like mm -hmm. what they represent. But I want to, every time that I, edit a video of their work or whether I see a performance, I just want to scream, can you please all just step on the same foot at the same time? Because even that has gone down the, it's not important. It's not just about self-expression, self-expression, but you go, but as an ensemble, why don't we just all try and sort of do it at the same time? Yeah. You know? And mm. If you keep giving people that, they're going to think, okay, that is the benchmark. It doesn't really matter. So the next generation of dancers is going to think, well, I don't really have to be that skilled. You know, look at it. It's sloppy, so I can do sloppy. Yeah. Isn't no, that that's, true? that's true. Yeah, that is then changing the whole culture of what people want uh, or what people are getting used to, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that is yeah, yeah, I sometimes think it's um, yeah, it's sad if if things are always toned down. You know, it's always like um, not to not uh, not to offend anybody or or you know, there's so many so many things to take into consideration. Yet I sometimes think you know, I grew up in the '60s in an industrial town in South Africa, and you know, there were many things that I just had to do because it was just part of the the discipline of the family or the school or yeah. whatever and I think this this benefited me you know in in so many ways in my life um yes. because I wasn't I wasn't uh cushioned um for everything you know it wasn't no. there was no negotiation about things and we just did things and and sometimes I think uh, I'm glad that I grew up like that uh, because I can also appreciate and I can also understand rules and regulations and and uh, that type of thing. But 
Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, they they should be this they they should be a um sort of a middle ground. They should be a way of of you know, they were not they were things that were not right, that's true. And you know, it's also in, in the theater world, I mean there were things that, that were not right, but but there has to be something where we say, okay, well, this is the middle ground and we can we can work from here. Yes, yes, absolutely, mm. absolutely. We have to find balance again. Yeah. It's, um, it's now gone to the other extreme as far as I'm concerned. You know, we yeah. have to bring it back and then find something in the middle. Um, mm. I mean, when I studied drama, which I didn't want to study, but I mean, I had to study <laughs> the uh, Greeks mm. and the Romans. You had to get a... And, a basis for your knowledge. I mean, a, a classical singer is not just going to, to say, okay, I want to sing 20th and 21st century music, I'm just going to sing at Hot Strauss. You yeah. have to go back, you have to go and do Handel and all of mm -hmm. the ancient composers as well to actually have a point of reference. It's against, again that, you know. Mm -hmm. You have to have a broader knowledge than what people have today. I find yeah. I find it so sad. Yeah. No, I think what you mentioned, I mean, I, as a child, grew up in the 60s, so I think we've been the same generation. And I came from a very simple background. I mean, neither yeah. my father nor my mother were in, in, in any kind of way in an artistic field. But yeah. I think that was also my saving grace. It made me morbidly curi curious. Yeah. You know? If I... Really, I have a, one thing that I apply every day of my life, even if it's a bad thing, I need to learn something new every yeah. day, you know, because, and all of a sudden we have access to so many things. Exactly. I mean, I'm at the moment yeah. busy with a, a venture where I feel so out of my depth, depth, but I feel so alive doing something that I know, oh, this is putting me under such unnatural pressure. It is not a natural thing for me to do. But that is where my creativity or my expression comes. Mm -hmm. I've done so many things so different to other people because I keep going, things shouldn't just remain static. It needs yeah. to evolve. But in the process, you need to have something to back you up or else mm -hmm. what you're striving for becomes meaningless and it becomes hollow. It becomes sharp. Yeah. yeah. No, that's oh, absolutely yeah. true, yeah. It is so but, sad. Yeah. But Johan, um, but what are you working on now at the moment? I mean, what, what productions are you busy with? You see, the thing is, is, look, I have been very fortunate because I've had so many skills, mm. especially um, in, um, in the lockdown period. I did quite a lot of editing work because I do video oh, editing okay. um, mm. because I've did a lot of documentaries. I made lots of documentaries. I'll send you some links to some of them that are, yeah. are quite interesting. There's, there's like you with your project. Um, we went to film one thing and then all of a sudden went, no, there's a bigger story. There's a much bigger story here than yeah. purpose while we are here. There's something bigger. Um, and I think also having worked on television, uh, stuff from that side has given me a bit of a backbone as far as writing is concerned because I have a very good understanding of how 
stories work because of documentaries and oh, also yeah. because of theatre and because of drama. It is all story-driven. Mm. So at the moment I'm developing for the first time and I'm really going down such a difficult route, but I'm uh, developing a radio drama because I've never oh. just worked with, with audio, only with audio, you know, it's always mm. been extremely visual, this stuff that I've done. So now just to, 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 to restrict myself to telling a story without it being a novel, because that I've done, I've put stuff on paper. Um, you know, I've written a novel, and you're talking about a, having a, 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 one of those pictures where you go, oh, this is a piece of history. I have one with Winnie Mandela holding a, a copy of my novel. Really? The novel's title is really so derogatory, you have mm. no idea. And she's mentioned in, in the novel. Um, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a historical novel, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. not really uh, a biography, but it's what, very What close. is the title of the novel? Um, the, the title of the, the book is called Kafirki. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, I think, but I think my daughter read the book. Yeah. Yeah, and it's okay. very interesting. Um, I think it's um, because the, the, the title caused so much trouble for me. Mm. Um, but even Winnie Mandela, it was very interesting. I met her, and somebody had a, a copy of the Afrikaans when standing live on his desk. Mm. And he actually walked in and went, he wrote that, he wrote that, because it is a horrible title. It mm. really is a horrible title, but it's the only true title. Mm. And she said to me, is it available in English? And I said, you know, there is a translation on its way. Oh. And um, she said that the title, I went, if you should read the book and you can come up with a better title, I will mm. say, I will change it. I promise you, I will really, because I mean, she's, 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 ooh, she's, yeah. she's Mandela. And she sent me this picture of her holding the book and she sent me a note saying, it is the perfect title. It couldn't really? have anything else, yeah, mm. because it would have been dishonest. Yeah. If you, if you, it, it, is, it is a factual story. It is based mm. on a true story. It was how never, however, never supposed to have been a novel. It was supposed to be a film. And what oh, I have to still be a film. Um, but I think I am politically incorrect mm. because I will not, I will not become a, a hypocrite. Mm. You know, because I think that is unfortunately what uh, political correctness does. It robs you of an opinion. Yeah. And because of that title, I've had so many conversations with people regarding the title and the kind of impact it has on their lives, mm -hmm. you know, and especially black people. I mean, to really go back and say to people, do you, what does this make you feel? You know, how does it make you feel? People tell me horrific things as, mm -hmm. as to how much they hated me as a white person, you know, because of our politics. And that's yeah. also a necessary thing to know. Mm -hmm. um, Patrick Shire, unfortunately, he passed away quite recently, was exactly my age. And he's a very famous, he was internationally known black actor. And we will sit and talk about that word. You know, it's like the N-word for for people in America. We will talk about it and people will say to us, this is making us feel, this makes us feel very uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. I go, oh, that's good. You yeah. know, 
And mm. these are people that I am convinced that just to use that word flippantly mm. before, we have to talk about the injuries of yeah. our past. We have to do that. And the hinge of my novel is South Africans are, and Afrikaans people, my people, are supposedly very religious. You know, mm. because if anything goes wrong, they run back to the Bible and says, yes, but. Yeah. Um, and I, the, the, the question the novel asks is, so what happened to that? You have to love your neighbor. Mm. I mean, that is one of the three obligations that you do have to have. You have to love God. You have to love your neighbor as love yourself. That's mm. the only things that you need to do. That's the only function we have on, on earth. So how did we justify what happened there for a moment? Where yeah. we selectively decided who is our neighbor. So mm. I'm used to, to actually... Uh, addressing things and saying to asking, why is it like this? You know, isn't isn't there a different way of doing it? Um, and so I'm very, I'm always awarded by people saying it is because it's original or it's innovative. And I could go, but I thought this is the way it should be. Every time that you create something, it should be something different. It should be new. You yeah. Know? I mean, even when I wrote the, the, the novel, I um, wrote it in the first person. And now for anyone that's in literature would say, no, you don't do that. You write it in the second person. I write, write a play the third person, then people go, no, you don't do it from the third person. They go, but it still works, doesn't it? Isn't it just challenging for a moment to say, we don't have to always color within the lines. It's when you go yeah. over the lines that the magic nine out of 10 times happen. Um, so I'm a bit stuck on that. So even doing this now, I'm making it very difficult for myself, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. You know, I have to say to the broadcaster, is it okay that I refer to, because Islam plays a big part in, in my story, because Islam played a big part in my life. Mm -hmm. As a documentary maker, it was very interesting. When I worked in the Netherlands as a television maker, uh, I had to find a speciality. And the first one, the most obvious one is Africa. I mean, Working from Europe, I traveled this continent north, south, east, west. Uh, and then the next moment, I had to get a speciality within Africa and that became Islam because I knew nothing about it. So I had a morbid curiosity about it, you know, and the more you learn about something, the more I think, once again, it gives me a different kind of a point of reference. Exactly. I merged myself even into a different kind of religious world. Mm -hmm. You know, I would sit there interviewing people, oh, and they would say things, and I go, my head is going to explode, but this is not about you. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. very often you do find, and I like that because mm -hmm. it challenges me as a human being. To, to change my way of thinking about things. I think that is actually what I've always been trying to do. It's just, mm -hmm. it is a different way of thinking about anything, whether it's the music, whether it's literature, whether it's exactly. theater, yeah. whether it's life, there is mm -hmm. always a different angle to this as well. Not true? 
Well, yeah. let's evolve as human beings, or else we will never evolve. Mm. And the thing is, if you start listening, I think this is always the, the thing. If you start listening to what people are saying, rather than make a judgment before even knowing, you know, and yeah. it's like then, then you start hearing uh, different perspectives. And this is exactly what you're saying. Then it it makes you think a little bit, you know, and, and makes you see things in a different way. Yes, and the, 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 it gives you an understanding because I think a lot yeah. of the prejudice we have comes from a lack of understanding. It exactly. comes from a lack of knowledge. Mm. The moment that you submerge yourself into something which you think is going to be an enormous challenge, mm. it becomes so rewarding. It really does become so rewarding to say, well, I can now look at this from a completely different angle. And yeah. that validates me. You know, yeah. I can yeah. at least, uh, I can compare the apples and the, the, the pears to one another, you know, yeah. because I've tasted apples and pears. But if you just eat apples the whole time, no. Exactly, yeah. No, I totally agree. I love that that analogy you use. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm the one that will always go, but there's pears. There is really pears. Yeah. Oh, we must never forget them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's important. In my life, it is. And I think that is... That has been the biggest challenges for me. I, uh, I'm going to say something to you. Uh, I think my biggest talent is to learn new skills in mm -hmm. any case. I don't think I, I'm going to call myself a talented actor or a singer or an author or anything of the kind or a designer at all. I think my biggest talent is, is that I can learn new skills. Mm -hmm. What a great talent, that. Are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would sit and watch stuff on YouTube, people making things that I go, I'm not going to do anything about this, but I want to know exactly how it's done. So if one mm -hmm. day somebody says to me, can you do that? Then I go, yes, I can, you know. Yeah. So day, <laughs> I watch things that people come and they look at my playlist, they go, is there more than one person watching this TV because the stuff is not related? But it's mm -hmm. this isn't there something that I want to know, you know, I want to learn something new. And I think that is so healthy for yeah. one's mind because I'm 67 years old. I'm not a child mm. any longer. Yeah. And I do speak to young people and they go, well, we didn't think older people were interested in stuff like that. And I go, no, I mm. want to know who's the current best rock singer as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All good and well, we now know who Jonas Kaufman and uh, Elena Garansha is. We now know who they are, but who's the best rock star? And what are the Japanese or the Chinese doing? Mm. I'm fascinated. You know? and, yeah, but I think this is, um, maybe it's because we grew up in the 60s, because I'm also like that, very inquisitive, yeah. <laughs> no, because our, our knowledge base was the tiny little library. A library, yeah, and, I know. <laughs> and there was a kind of uh, encyclopedia, that, uh, encyclopedia, and that was about the full yeah. extent of your knowledge. And then I find it so sad when young people don't spend all their time exploring new things. They keep looking deeper and deeper and deeper into the same thing instead of going, no, but you know, there's a, there's a big world out there. There's a lot of stuff and we have access to so much. Exactly. We never had that in the 60s. No. We had nothing. I'm telling you, I stayed out of school to go and watch that Elvis Presley show for a second time because I've never seen a concert like that in my yeah. entire life. Um, you know? No, I know. Yeah. I, exactly. 
But Johanna, um, I see those two pictures behind you. Tell me a bit more about those pictures. Do you know what the funny thing is? I, uh, this is I'm sitting in my bedroom, so there's actually four. There's two more. There's one of my mother in a wedding dress, and then one of my sister and myself, two small children. Yes. And it's so funny. I think it's because now that I'm older, that means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. uh, photographs never used to mean that much to me. They were never that big. I mean, they were little, tiny little photographs that I had blown up quite a bit. But I think it's also just to remind myself of who I am, you know, and where I where I come from. I am that unpleasant little boy sitting over there. Really? <laughs> I think I am, you know. He looks very unhappy, and I always say if I should write my autobiography, I will call it uh, Unterfriere, which is... Um, what, what's uh, Unterfriere? What's the good translation? Uh, I, I can't... I cannot know in the moment. Not dissatisfied. Dissatisfied, yeah. I think yeah, I think. yeah. Yeah, because that little boy looks completely <laughs> dissatisfied with things. And maybe that is really who I am. So I keep going, well, I must change the scenario. I have to change the picture. I have to change the story. You yeah. know? Mm. But, yes, I, I have to be honest with you, you know, being sort of a creative person, that's really, I have done everything that I've wanted to do in my entire career. I've done everything. And I've mm. done everything that most of my friends wanted to do as well, because they would say to me, they want to do something, they go, I wonder what does that feel like? And then the next moment I find myself saying things <laughs> like that. And then it is absolute torture. It is torture mm. because it was not in my planning, mm. you know? So because it wasn't in my planning, I normally do approach it from a place where I feel myself completely like a duck out of water. And I go, okay, but I'm going to push mm. myself into that. Mm. Um, I'm not joking if I'm telling you that a lot of the things that I've done in my life is because other people said they were going to do that. <laughs> Most of them never got around to doing it. Yeah. You but know? that's amazing that you have that ability no, but you think I think it's, it's part of a childhood trauma. Oh, I <laughs> I'm going to have to blame my mother for something. I loved it. But you yeah. know what is so interesting? I would draw something, and then I'll have a whole sketch pad, and then mm -hmm. I'll get to a point, and anyone that is creative would know there's a point where you go, I've now tried to fix this, mm -hmm. and there's no way of fixing it. The only way to do it again is to start over. Mm. And my mother's perception was, I didn't finish it. Oh, I see. Okay. And yeah. she would say to me, why didn't you finish that? Mm. And I would always hear, why don't you finish it? Why don't you finish mm. it? Because she couldn't understand that there is a point where sometimes you get into such a rut um, that you have to start completely over. Yeah. You know, unless it was a place you can still rub it out, but if it was something else, you couldn't. And I hear my mother saying, why didn't you finish that? Do you understand? <laughs> so even if it should kill me, I will finish something. You have no idea. I go, There's no way that this is going to work, but I will make it work. And that is very often a very mm. good thing. My daughter always says that sometimes if she does something and she sort of knows in the back of her mind, I'm going to say these words. Then she hears me saying it. So I can understand your your hearing your mum. Yeah. Yeah, even do you know it's it's a funny thing. 
to me, the biggest achievement about having written it, and I won an amazing uh, award for my novel. Um, mm. And they had some very strange things to say when they said it uh, the day the, 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 when they gave me the prize. I laughed so much that I can't remember anything about the evening at all. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny because writing was somebody else's ambition, not mine. You know, it really was. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but, because it, yeah. It, it is so funny. It was only recently that I read they say. I think it's only one in a hundred thousand people that intend to write a book that they actually get down to doing it. Yeah. And it's also one out of, I don't know how many people that actually get it published. Mm -hmm. And then there's only that many people that actually want to win an award. Yeah. But, uh, you see, to me, I never intended to be a writer, but what I do, what I will say to you is I'm a storyteller. That I am. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I will not give myself as, as being this award-winning also, because if I say mm. that, I'm going to start laughing about <laughs> <laughs> Because that, that was so many of my friends' dreams, and not one of them has actually written a book. No, there's, there's so many of them that's been pestering me for the last 50 years, saying, are they busy writing a book? And I go, so when are you going to finish it? Mm. Wasn't it for my mother? <laughs> I'm not I really hear this one. Why aren't you finishing? Why are you finishing it? So I think that is what drives me. So there's nothing else. There's on certain levels, and I'm going to say this to you, that I have satisfied other people where, I could, where they go, oh, this is good. Then I go, oh, do you think that is good? Then it's okay, I suppose. Yeah. But please, myself. Mm -hmm. I can really, I can drive myself crazy, especially yeah. if somebody says to me, I can't do a thing. Mm -hmm. Then I have to prove them wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was somebody that said, it's a pity he can't write. Oh, really? That person's voice I can hear as well, do you understand? And then the whole thing is that person is still after, I don't know, I've known him for 30 years, still writing his book. Yeah. Um, you know, so then you go, yeah, but this is the kind of personality I have. I'm a Taurus. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Let's say oh, this okay. Okay, yeah. And I understand that. Yeah. That I, have three, I have three Tauruses as children, so I understand that very well. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to hurt them into the crawl. Every and, and, but, but I'm a Libra, so I'm a more of a frustration for them than, than they are. Oh, I can, I can <laughs> imagine. Fortunately, I've got some Gemini sort of ascending things so I've got a bit of a <laughs> no, they always say to me to come down to earth yeah yeah but why why yeah, that's why what I'm saying I love it up here in my cloud and uh, absolutely you know, so... <laughs> I'm the master of creating a little bubble you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah this is so amazing to talk to you and um I want to ask you now about your wishes for the future, but because I'm sure there are some more. I mean, you've you've already achieved so much, but what are your wishes for the future? Do you know? I'm going to tell you something which is very personal yeah. that happened to me um, May last year. I am 67 years old now. 
But for the first 65 years of my life, I've had impeccable health. But now to cut a long, strange story, because I still have to figure out why. Something happened to me on the 8th of May last year, which I still, I am, I'm avoiding really ex exploring it because I keep going, because there has to be a reason why I am here. There has to be mm. a reason. Something really bizarre happened. I couldn't catch my breath the one morning and I thought I was having a panic attack. So I tried to get hold of my doctor and she was mm. in labor. So she couldn't help me. I really thought I was having a panic attack. And I tried another doctor, a friend of mine who's a captain. She used to be my doctor many years, and I couldn't get hold of her because she was abroad. So I found a lady friend of mine who lives in front of Bale Park, whose daughter is a doctor. And I keep going, they have to give me something. I'm having a panic attack. I'm having a panic attack. I was like that. And then I got hold of Suzanne that said to me, just now, I will organize it with my daughter. Just give me your address and we'll get the pharmacy to come and deliver something to you. So mm -hmm. the funny thing is um, they did arrive here to deliver this stuff to me and I had to go and get it from the gate and she phoned me and she said to me, so did they arrive? And I went, yes. And during that conversation, I said to her, I can come go. And then I stopped talking. She then jumped in, now listen, because there's this, there is something here. She jumped on the phone because she now has my address. And she started phoning ambulances because I don't pick up the phone anymore. And the ambulance arrived and they couldn't get onto the premises because I'm here on my own and I'm not answering the door. And she kept saying, take the ambulance and just ram the, the door. I'll pay for it, she kept saying. She had a hip replacement that Monday. This is now the Wednesday. So she's not that mobile or else she would have jumped into the car and come. Coincidence had it that my landlord forgot something here at home and he came around to pick it up and there's this ambulance and they found me on, on the floor and I stopped breathing. What? Yes, and they brought me back to life. Um, it is really bizarre. Um, you know, I stopped breathing because my blood was overproducing hemoglobin and it went so sick that it stopped flowing. How bizarre is that? They found me here. I woke up several hours later because Michael, my landlord, didn't know whether I had any medical. I ended up in a state hospital in intensive care. I kept going, where the hell am I? What the hell am I doing? Here? And for that reason, there is a reason why I'm still here, because it was mm -hmm. all too perfect. The coincidences of people arriving at the right moment, at the right time, mm -hmm. for them to be able to resuscitate me. But now everybody yeah. says to me, so did you see a white light? Did you see mm -hmm. a tunnel? I go, I saw huge flames. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been trying to find out, so what... What is the purpose of all of that? Yeah. What is the purpose of all of that? And I am making notes. I think I might write the whole experience. I might write it down in some kind of a form, you yeah. know? 
Yeah. Because it's such a, that's such an interesting, I get so pissed off when I see somebody recently, Donald Sutherland had a near-death experience and he saw a white light and I didn't, you know, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, but I did see flames. <laughs> and people stop asking you, but there has to be a purpose and there has to be a reason why I'm still here. I'm yeah. still back to find out what that is. Okay. Okay. Because I keep saying to people, now I have to have plans for the future. My future yeah. coming over, you know, but now I have to plan things for my future. And I'm not just sure what it is. But I believe I attract these things. The mm-hmm. right things and the right ideas come to me at the right time. So um, at the moment, I just want to get through this radio drama. It's an interesting topic. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's well, challenging. Yeah. very challenging. You know, Johan, you've got such an interesting story and such an interesting life, really. <laughs> I'm lucky, am I not? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. Yesterday, a friend of mine that has been my school friend, mm-hmm. we've been friends since we were 12 years old, and we, every time we keep going, can you believe this happened to us? <laughs> All of these things happened to us. It wasn't things that I anticipated, you know. When, yeah. when I was young, as a child, uh, we, my father and moms weren't into the arts at all, you mm-hmm. know, and I mean, my dad was one of those people who would never buy um, a, a record or a book because they were going, but you've got a record, you've got a book, why do you want another one? You know? They were really yeah. simple mm-hmm. and down to earth like that. And the funny thing is there was this tiny little stack of records, that's all we had. Mm-hmm. But wasn't there me privilege to sing opposite both of those people in my wow. life. I mean, mm. I have to be honest with you, I can hardly even imagine that I would if somebody said to me, do you know that lies in your future, I would go, no, look. Yeah. You must be mm. joking. You know, the people that one idolized that they crossed your paths. Mm. And that you actually, I mean, I would never forget the first time I saw uh, uh, Mary Stewart the Schiller play was Vilna Snaimont playing Queen Elizabeth. I sat there as a school child just crying. I kept going, I can't believe something like this exists in South Africa because she was such a great actress. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing about 15 plays with her, you know. So Unbelievable. That kind of stuff, it was the people that mm-hmm. you saw in the newspapers and the magazines, they all crossed mm-hmm. my path. I'm so blessed. That is one mm-hmm. thing I'm so blessed. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's always great to to hear when somebody's grateful for all these things. You know, it's um, I think that's that's part of it, and that's part of more of why more is coming to you. I think. No, I think it's yeah. all grace. It's all grace. Doesn't yeah. matter how you look at it. Yeah. Happens. From a religious point of view, it's just grace. It's just yeah. I'm so lucky. Yeah. And so lucky. Mm-hmm. I've always somehow been at the right place at the right time. Amazing. Yeah. But I'm now, sorry. listen, Yuan, I still have one more question for you. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I want to know now where where is your uh, favorite coffee shop or restaurant in Joburg? Uh, you'll, you'll have to do a shout out for them. Do you know what the funny thing is? This is not the first time that I'm being asked this. Yeah. Um, 
And the previous time I was on a, on a, on a radio interview that went on mm -hmm. for three hours, but it was very interesting because I could bring my own music that I wanted people to listen to. Oh, and okay. um, I had to tell them what my favorite travel destination was, and that mm -hmm. was Benin. And they got the high commissioner from Benin to phone in. And at some stage, they even got a numerologist to do Really? And they also asked me this question, so what is my favorite coffee shop? And they got Ria, who owns a place called Papuzzi's in London. Yeah. Um, they invited her into the program and they gave us sort of 15 minutes of airtime. I oh, hope really? I will make sure Ria listens to, 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 to this because, yeah, yeah, mm. Papuzzi's. Um, I think it is It's because... If you go there, I still feel quite young in comparison to some of the people that hang out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really do feel quite young among some of the people that hang out there. It is, yeah, it's call it. It's the place for more mature people. Oh, okay. Papuzzi's, <laughs> and it's in Linden. Yeah, I love okay. it. Yeah. Papuzzi, and where does the name come from? Do you know? Um. She's got a lot of cats there. I don't know. Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. But she'll have a good laugh if she hears me punt her again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was only, it was my favorite place because it was within walking distance. I'm actually not the kind of person that enjoy going out at all because I love cooking. Oh, I and see. I also do what you do. I don't shop for bread. I bake bread, you know. Mm -hmm. There's nothing... That makes me feel, feel more in touch with myself than sort of needing a piece of dough. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it's no, I think, therapy. Yeah, I think that that idea of bread, uh, of flour and water, and you create a bread. I don't know. There's just something about that that. Look, also, it is also to blame on, on COVID. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. one thing I did was I started experimenting with stuff that I might never have done. I mean, I even started knitting and crocheting and stuff. Really? I mean, I started making blankets and stuff like this. Wow. Yeah, crazy. To keep me busy to drive because I was going insane. I am yeah. a bit, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm a bit hyperactive. So you have to keep me busy. Mm -hmm. So um, I learned a lot of skills in, 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 in the lockdown. You have mm -hmm. no idea. I can do a lot of more than I could do before lockdown <laughs> because I was forced to sit down and experiment with stuff mm -hmm. that I never thought I would do. Well, that's amazing. But amazing that you have that um, that overactive gene. <laughs> yeah, but I think it is all curiosity and you know what yeah. I'm talking about. It yeah, is all yeah. curiosity for life. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I think if you if you have that kind of curiosity you attract these things mm. i think so i believe in i believe that yeah you know? yeah i also believe that i learn a lot if you put me in a certain kind of a situation i might not actively study what you're doing but i do absorb mm. other people's activities very quickly mm. and I, that's why that's why i'm a very good skills trainer because i i know how to learn you know? yeah. Um, yeah, so there's still a lot to be done. Mm. 
I spent, um, after I returned from the Netherlands, the reason why I didn't go back was somebody asked me, can I teach people what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And immediately I went, There's, this is, this is going to make sense out of all the skills that I learned in that particular period of time. So I was brought oh, yeah. in by the Department of Justice here. They asked me whether I can set up two television units for them to take them from from concept to to final product and teach them all of those skills. But it was an anti-corruption function because um, they were reintroducing a new bookkeeping method. Now I can say that because at that stage, the big draw card was this man mm-hmm. said to me they were stealing money from the, 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 the justice and he said an amount and he said 100 million rand. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. He said to me per month. What? Yes, and we reduced it. Within a very short time, we reduced it to 30 million. (laughs) 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 And then when Alan McKenzie, he was brought in for business against crime. That's Mm -hmm. the man that actually got me involved. They, They shot him outside Parliament and they... When he had to report on it, yeah, and they quickly disbanded everything because by then we had 2,000 cases against staff from the Department of Justice. Oh, wow. I thought that was a good thing to do. So I felt that I put skills back into into trying to find a solution for our country because Mm. what's happening here is it breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think... on Facebook recently, after watching the news, I normally watch something about the serial killer so that I can just relax a bit. <laughs> <laughs> watch some horrific stuff so I can just chill after watching the news. <laughs> but really, oh, that is so funny now, no, really. <laughs> But, but it has been better, but we'll yeah. keep in contact now. Now that I know yeah, what you can do this socially, you know. I'm coming to eat your bread when I come to South Africa. Well, I said, please, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah please, no, definitely. Please. I hope that soon. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hope so too. But, Johan, um, have a lovely afternoon. I'm going to do that. Yeah, okay. I read it. And I, I hope to speak to you soon. We will. We'll keep yeah. talking. Yeah. Okay. Enjoy that beautiful city and enjoy the warm climate because you know and I know it's going to change radically soon. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Now because I mean now everybody's out and out and about. You know they they in the parks and, and all. Yeah. yeah.